Welcome to episode 70 of the Geek Rex podcast. Uh, I'm Harper and I'll be your host this week. So joining me are Kyle, Hannah, and Cal. How's everybody doing? Good. Excellent. Oh, just fine. Just fine. I got something in my teeth that I got to get out now. <laughs> so almost fine. You will be yeah, shortly. almost. <laughs> All right, so uh, loyal listeners will know that last week we took a week off of Doctor Who for the first time in uh, as long as I can remember, I think. Um, it's been a while since we've had a non-Doctor Who episode, but we had to cover some stuff uh, that came out of New York Comic Con. There's a lot of comics news, so we wanted to devote an episode to that. But this week we are back in full force uh, with a double feature episode, um, and it just happened to fall on uh, a two-week period when we had uh, two episodes by a brand new Doctor Who writer, Jamie Matheson. So... We are going to kind of cover this as the Doctor Who, Jamie Matheson, hour double feature extravaganza. <laughs> so we're going to kind of just lump those two together and uh, and see what we all kind of got out of those two. So um, I wanted to just start by saying, just kind of in general, what did you guys think of, of these two episodes, uh, Mummy on the Orient Express and Flatline? As a, as a new writer to Doctor Who, what did you guys think of these two? The, these were my favorite episodes of the season so far, hands down. Agreed. I'm in the I'm in the same boat. Um, I think they were both very very good. I like the first one better than the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I, I like them. I like them both really well. But I thought the uh, the first one was stronger and appealed more to my interests. Did you like the second one better than the others? The seasons? No. Okay. No. Uh, I, I I had greater issues with the second one in terms of uh, their overall aesthetics. Um, I don't know, it, but it was more about the backgrounds and stuff and I, we'll talk about it, but, um, yeah, I like the first one a whole heck of a lot and it's up there with my favorites of the season. The second one I liked, but more as like a, a B level episode. Yeah. I'm kind of on the, along those same lines. Um, I really, really enjoyed mummy on the Orient express. That's definitely my favorite episode of the season. Um, it was, it was fun and, uh, very clever and also, um, it, it was added to a lot to the internal story of the whole uh, season without being kind of, uh, you know, without that intruding on the interesting ideas that the episode put forth. Um, whereas I think Flatline had some really strong thematic ideas, but it was not nearly as entertaining. And I think it kind of um, kind of lost a lot of the uh, the excitement that Mummy and the Orient Express had, but still a, still a very good episode overall, I think. Well, everything's better with a mummy, isn't it? I of mean. <laughs> I, I like those weird flat creatures though that were kind of you know moving all strange and stuff well they move like zombies sort of yeah uh, which i guess makes them sort of like mummies in a way yeah yeah i don't the know it was great yeah i think the effect uh, on that they used on them was really really interesting um and and that was actually the thing i liked the best about flatline i think was just the, I think that was the perfect villain for for this episode because I, I think the whole thing was kind of about perspective and how the doctor got to he kind of got to see how he acts uh, through Clara because she was kind of acting as the doctor so it was kind of all about how he kind of sees himself and how others see, others see him and his actions which is kind of tied together a lot of the ideas from the whole season I think which was kind of cool yeah and it was interesting to see him acknowledge kind of i don't know not the evil in her but the not good in her actions i guess mm-hmm. yeah i mean or, I, sorry go ahead no or at least like how he's rubbing off on her i mean we're talking about the end of flatline right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he says good's nothing to do with it yeah yeah i mean that it's literally the the impact that traveling with him is having on her i guess or would have on anybody it seems i mean mm-hmm. it's just 
sort of that variation of how he turns his friends into weapons, which is, is da, uh, Davros used to say. Um, well, and it, it was her, um, you know, she was really appalled at the loss of human life in the first couple episodes this season. Like when the um, Into the Dalek, you know, when the, the doctor was super casual about the soldiers who died, she was kind of like, hey, you know, that's a person. Um, and then she became relatively less so like in the bank heist one. People were reminding her, like, he's kind of not a great person. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then in this one, she sort of stepped into those shoes and she was like, it's fine. We didn't lose that many people, whatever. It out, you know, the good outweighed the bad. Um, you kind of saw her come around to his point of view. Yeah, this one, for what could have been a kind of trite Monster of the Week episode, um, it actually is almost kind of the cornerstone of what the season was setting up in its first couple episodes, mm-hmm. uh, both for the Doctor's Ark and Clara's. And that really surprised me quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. Just you didn't realize it was happening until it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was an interesting one just for, I mean, for that alone. And that it, it, gave, um, it gave Clara a lot of the power, it kind of transferred it to her. Um, and... I mean, I, th- I think these two episodes in general saw a major shift um, in Clara and in their relationship, uh, which that, that was another thing I kind of wanted to talk about is um, in particular with the end of um, Mummy on the Orient Express, uh, her changing her mind about staying with the Doctor and staying on the TARDIS. Uh, what did you guys think about that? It, it felt almost like they were doing, and I'm trying to remember because it feels like they've done it before, but I it doesn't spring to mind, but it felt like they were doing almost like an addiction narrative with Clara there. Like she knows she should quit. She knows the doctor's bad for her. She knows she's going to start lying to Danny. She knows this is dangerous. And no matter what she's promised to herself and how much the doctor kind of has started to disgust her in a moral sense, I guess she's kind of going along with it. Cause she really wants that. She really wants to keep experiencing this. I think she even asked him directly about addiction at the end of that episode, didn't mm-hmm. she? She definitely brought up the idea of being addicted to the, I guess, the adrenaline rush or something like that. Uh, and I, like you're right, I'd kind of thought in the back of my head it seemed like that was where they were going, but I didn't think they actually would until she straight up asked him and then it was like okay that's that really is what's happening here all right that's awesome i found it kind of brilliant the way um these episodes were sequenced mm-hmm. um so this episode the mummy on the orient express was the companion light episode more or less i mean she spent most of the time inside that train car with the other uh female supporting character the passenger whose grandmother had died i believe mm-hmm. and um so we really focused mostly on the doctor and his adventuring and some really, really funny stuff. I mean, the dialogue was incredible. One of my, one of my favorite lines I may have ever heard in Doctor Who is what? when he's, when he's like, I'm here to complain about the breakfast bar <laughs> and the dying. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's a, it just, it just perfectly encapsulates uh, that diversion of the doctor now that it feels like it's starting to be fully formed. And even at the end of this episode, uh, one of the people who was watching watching it with us, our friend Mike, he said, this is the first episode where it feels like this is the doctor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, opinion-based, of course, but it does take these guys some time to sort of find the rhythm of the character. And perhaps 
for some, this was that example. So to get back to sequencing, though, um, so we, we focus on the doctor and his heroism, which sort of drew Clara in, which apparently also worked for other viewers who were a little colder on him as well. That's true. Very yeah. meta. Um, now, this next episode, it's mostly focused on Clara. Uh, and the doctor is stuck inside that shrinking TARDIS in Flatline. And so now we see the turnaround. So it's, now we, we get past the adventuring of the doctor. Now we focus on Clara and the effect of her adventuring with the doctor. I thought it was a really cool one-two punch, uh, especially when you look at it sort of uh, long after the fact in hindsight. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think it was smart to put these these two episodes back to back and and in that order, like you say. Um I did. The, I maybe had a little bit of a problem with the fact. Um, I felt like Clara's change, the change in her mind, was kind of a little unearned. Maybe um, I didn't quite see where she saw so much of the heroism in uh, Mummy and the Orient Express any more than in any of the previous episodes. Particularly in the fact that I thought it was really odd that they didn't show the Doctor saving anybody on the train. Um, and I, I actually, when I first watched the episode, I thought that he was maybe lying to Clara uh, when he says that he saved everyone. Um, Cause it just thought it was very strange to kind of omit that part that the train just explodes and they're, you know, on this mysterious planet and she wakes up and, Oh, everything's kind of fine now, you know? And I, I really enjoyed the whole, that speech. I think that might've been the best part of the episode about, you know, pretending to be heartless. I think there's a lot of really interesting thematic meat there. Um, but uh yeah, I just thought it was kind of strange because I almost I was I feel like I was getting the wrong thing out of it at first. I felt like, you know, he was kind of making the whole thing up. Did, did anybody else kind of feel like that at all? I, I think maybe that uh, amb- ambiguity is intentional. Yeah, they even in that speech call attention to the fact that, you know, he could be lying and she, she'll never know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll never know. <laughs> um, I mean, we know that the doctor traditionally would have tried to save everyone, but would he have been able to? I, 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 I mean, they obviously didn't want to go super duper dark, but I think that especially after like the ending of Deep Breath and all of the times this season they've drawn attention to the people the Doctor couldn't save rather than the people that he ends up saving, that that line was very intentional or that whole, that ambiguity was very intentional. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that whole speech and that that section, the very end of of Mummy, was um, might be the kind of defining moment for this Doctor, at, at least the first one. And um, that the the whole pretending to be heartless thing, I, I think, is particularly interesting. And in that it just gives you this whole idea that uh, you know, is there a difference between somebody who is a hero and someone who uh, pretends to be a hero or try you know tries their best but maybe doesn't succeed as a hero you know what's what's really the difference um and i think it adds a lot of depth to the doctor instead of just having him be defined as this kind of like vague uh okay he's clever he's uh he's very kind and um and he's kind of goofy sometimes like those are kind of like you know some of the main qualities that if somebody asks you you know what is the doctor like those might be some of the things you spit out but this adds a whole new layer of depth i think that's pretty pretty interesting um and that was something that got transferred onto clara in uh in flatline which was really fascinating that was i, I think without that aspect i would have been a lot less interested in flatline 
Well, and Kyle mentioned the humor of these last two episodes. Mm-hmm. And I know the writer who wrote these last two is a stand-up comedian, or he was. And I feel like maybe the likability factor of the Doctor isn't even down to what's happening in the plot. Because I don't necessarily think his actions are that different than before. I think it's down to he's found this way to be cold and warm at the same time with the humor that he's used in the last few episodes. Um, whereas at first he was just distant and cold. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a good point. I mean, uh, yeah, they've kind of struck an interesting balance um, with this doctor that it's, it's very different, um, but uh, I actually like it a lot. I think they've, and, and this is, I think these two episodes is where that um, sort of finally kind of clicked with me a little bit more. What do you think is kind of the defining characteristic of of this new doctor post these two episodes is this these episodes had a big shift in the way you see the doctor i maintain that this doctor is the batman doctor like i've been saying (laughs) that for a while but i it's true i mean he's pragmatic and he's a little bit dark and he's realistic and he's got intentions that are good but at the same time he's no superman you know he's the doctor of lies I mean, they all lie, though, right? I, I, yeah, I know. I he, know. But you know what? He isn't. He's not the everybody lives doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. People actually died in the in the, in the mummy episode. People have been dying in almost every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people died in flatline. I mean, they didn't bring anyone back. They didn't. The doctor didn't reverse the polarity, and the people regained their dimensions. Like they they stayed dead. Yeah. I I felt like with mummy on the Orient Express, though, we had people die that felt like they mattered more yeah. than, than in pre like uh, you know in into the dalek when that one soldier dies and ends up in the promised land um with missy i you know I, it was fine it was a good scene but i didn't care about that character i didn't have a reason to yeah uh but with mummy on the orient express i felt like a lot of these characters that died had like their own personalities that were pretty well defined from the historical expert to the uh the 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 in- inspector on the train and stuff i mean like the they these were and it was credit to the actors for being able to breathe life into these characters but when they died i thought oh man they're they're coming back right and no yeah. they're dead That's a good point. <laughs> so that was something that i felt like the stakes were higher particularly in that episode i I can't recall how many people died, though, in Flatline. One or two, maybe, at most? Um, I mean, obviously, all the people that had died before they arrived were yeah, still yeah. dead. And then over the course of their chase, I think two people, maybe three. The, the, the cop at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Three, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but the characters weren't defined as well for me. Uh, I mean, really, the the character who made the biggest impression is the biggest jerk that survived at the end. Um, the pro, the, the pro- probation officer or whatever he was, um, that guy, uh, he, he, he's the guy you don't expect to live and he ended up living, which mm-hmm. that, that subversion of expectations was also quite fascinating. I thought, you know, actually when I think about it, I think someone has died in every single episode because even the one where they were at the school, um, the kids were hanging out in front of that empty house that had the robot thing in it or whatever it was and the police officer walked in there and also got killed by it yeah i think even that episode which was primarily at a school had deaths i don't think there was an episode that didn't listen listen um no i don't think it did actually but there was there was also no no real monster necessarily in listen either yeah yeah maybe yeah I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it's been a while. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, in, in Time Heist, no one died. Um, no, well, someone, someone so almost died. Well, that guy had his brains bashed <laughs> in. Or yeah, yeah the, the extra died. Yeah, barely. I mean, it did. In the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there are various levels of do we care, but right. they're still showing someone. I mean, in the beginning of the first one, the T-Rex dies, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of death. A lot, a lot of mortality here. But you're right. I don't know if Listen has anybody die or not. I don't think so. Besides, like, obviously all of mankind is dead at the end or whatever, but they don't show that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right. I think Listen's the one exception. But Does the moon one... Yeah, the, yeah. The antibodies kill someone. Oh, that's right. The, the yeah. stupid bald scientist died. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Poor okay. bald guy. The worst, the worst astronaut there's ever been. What do I do? I wouldn't have thought about this as a particularly bloody season, I guess. Um, but thinking about it, I mean, it's not just that more people have died than normal. It's that it... it it feels like there have been, kill the moon aside, actual consequences to the actions that the characters take. And that's something that Doctor Who kind of lost track of for a while. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think when I very first started watching Doctor Who, that was one of the first things I, I kind of mentioned is that uh, to my friend that got me to start watching it is that I felt like it was a show where the stakes were regularly fairly high and that people did and often died and, and, you know, the doctor just kind of had to move on with it and that they've kind of taken that to an extreme with this season. Um, and really, but, but not used it just kind of, you know, as a shock factor or as a red shirt to just kind of prove, you know, how dangerous this new monster is or whatever, but they've actually used it to kind of build on the characters, which is really, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's a good way to do that. I think, um, so, you know, Kyle, you mentioned uh, that old man at the end, uh, the, the the probation officer or whatever from the end of um, Flatline. You know, I thought that that ending was kind of interesting because I wondered the doctor's comments to Clara about how, you know, um, she was an exceptional doctor, but good had nothing to do with it. Um, you know, I wondered if that was if it was really about her or if he was kind of speaking about himself or I also thought about, you know, if his kind of reaction was colored by how kind of hateful and like ugly that man was and how his total lack of care, you know, kind of soured him on like, why, why should I care about saving these people? If he doesn't, you know, humans don't care about saving themselves. So that was kind of an interesting timing to keep, keep that guy in and, and use that at the very end like that. Probably a mixture of all three. I mean, in some mm-hmm. way, but I, I took it as the, the underlying motive being her finding that people are expendable, mm-hmm. uh, taking sort of that same opinion that the doctor himself had where, he was like, well, that person was dead already earlier this season, you know, when, when the uh, an- the Dalek antibodies killed that one particular security guard. Um, now Clara is sort of saying something very similar. And I think when he hears it from somebody else, he realizes how not great that sounds. And, they, they, and then again, it's about the impact that he has on her. And it's that same question of, am I a good man? Well, when you, when you see your own traits reflected on, uh, from, you know, your own traits reflected from somebody else, that's when you kind of have a better idea of what sort of person you really are. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, the other, the flip side of this is like, I mean, we have people that we consider heroic, you know, firefighters, policemen, whomever, every day who cannot save everyone they try to help. Yeah. And we don't condemn anybody for for that. Yeah. You try and you save the people that you can. 
So I don't think it necessarily makes him a bad man. It just makes him not perfect or not, you know, absolute. Well, that's where the soldier stuff comes in too, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, that 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 Dan, that Danny Pink parallel uh, to everything that's occurring right now with the Doctor's own existential crisis. Mm. I I think there's also something to be said for the fact that the Doctor often seems to depend on the companions to give him some sense of grounding. Right. And um, as, as Clara becomes more and more big picture, like what, you know, yes, like six people died, but we saved everybody. So all in all, a good day is kind of, that's, that's reinforcing something. I don't think he wants reinforced. Um, you know, last, last time he went all big picture, all I, you know, I can do whatever I want was, uh, the waters of Mars when he was without a companion for uh, a solid run of episodes. And I think that this is also kind of playing off that the fact that Clara is kind of losing her purpose to him as she becomes more like him. Which makes me wonder if, I mean, I don't know what's, I know Danny is in the next episode yeah. uh, from promos but actually, it's funny because the thing that the doctor probably needs the most right now is someone like Danny traveling with him. Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree. And that's something I was going to ask about is, um, you know, these two episodes kind of established a new status quo with Danny as kind of the stay at home boyfriend that just sorts of hear sort of hears about these adventures and um, or or in this in the case of Flatline, you know, she doesn't tell him at all. It's kind of a, a secret. Um what do you guys think about his his kind of new place in in the whole the trio the relationship between all of them? I mean, I think he's going to be the person that tries to pull Clara back and kind of save her from this, you know, quote unquote addiction or whatever he views it as or we view it as. Um, but at the same time, it's Doctor Who, and I don't see it just ending with okay, she's done, she's not going to travel with you anymore, right. goodbye. It'll probably end up somewhere in between where you know, the absolutes on both sides will meet in the middle and he's going to realize that what they're doing does actually help people. Probably in the next episode, you know, it looks like the students are involved. Um, maybe he'll see the doctor actually help some students of his own. Uh, and so maybe the compromise will be, I'm coming with you to make sure you don't go too far. With the way Danny left the doctor and with Clara lying to him in this episode, that he would willingly uh, take uh, take the kids anywhere near the TARDIS, I almost feel like uh, they're setting it up so that Clara ends up accidentally endangering them somehow. Clara and the Doctor, because neither of them care anymore. Well, it looks like, from what I've seen on the promos, like, it's there's some kind of issue affecting all of England, like, mm -hmm. one day. Like, like, there's an overgrowth of trees or plants or something like that, and so it's this mystery that shows up and surrounds everybody, and they have to figure out how to solve it. So I don't necessarily know that anyone brings the kids to danger so much as danger just shows up. I'm speculating, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. I, I would kind of agree. Um, that actually makes me think of something I, I thought about during flatline, which is, it seems like in this season, they're kind of totally ignoring this whole like uh, sci-fi convention of like, Oh, we have to keep all this alien stuff a secret. That's like totally, that rule has totally been destroyed in this season, um, particularly like in, in Flatline, you know, it's just like, oh, hey, stranger, hey, look at this, it's a TARDIS. <laughs> like, yeah, that's actually, that's a really good point, Harper. My brother came and watched one of these episodes with us. I think it was the one there at the school 
I think I think it was that one. The full, one where Danny meets the doctor for the first time. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she says he's an alien or whatever. And Daniel was like, what the heck? Like, he just met an alien and he's not freaked out about the fact that there are aliens or that they exist. And we we're like, you know, well, on the show, there have been a bunch of alien invasions, typically around Christmas every year. <laughs> um, so you would think in this world, no one would be surprised at an alien anymore. But they, they seem to not acknowledge that usually. And it's always a shock for people. So it was kind of nice to see like the alien part not be a shock to somebody. Wasn't did, I, for, I, I? I can't remember. Did they erase? Because, like, especially during um, Davy's run, like modern day Earth would routinely get like basically conquered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did they erase all of that, or like, is I don't like? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of curious as to the status quo because, yeah, as, for a few years there. There were aliens routinely showing up very publicly and declaring war on everything. Oh, every everybody became the master for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm a little unclear about that, too, sometimes. Like, I remember back during the fifth season, uh, he, he would when he first met Amy and he asked her if she remembered the Dalek invasion and she couldn't. And I thought that was maybe because of the holes in her memory. Or the crack. Or yeah. And so when that, that giant reset button was hit at the end of that season, series, whatever you want to say, um, I'm not sure what got filled back in. And it's never been something they've ever dwelled on because, God, if you start re- over-explaining four seasons worth of show, people are just going to be lost, um, especially you know kids in the audience. But I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because they don't cite – a lot of stuff uh, from the from the past from the past era, or even really from uh, season, just a couple of seasons ago anymore. I've got to believe everyone knows aliens are a thing now. And I mean, I yeah. know it's a technically a different show, but like Torchwood, all the miniseries there, like that that has involved like all of the world knowing about aliens, you know, uh, with that pact with the kids and stuff like that. I mean, they've got to know in this universe. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting that they don't often acknowledge it and now it's just sort of commonplace which yeah i would kind of agree it's kind of refreshing a little bit that we don't have to go through this whole it's almost like every time you watch a horror movie there's got to be like the obligatory 15 minute segment where nobody believes the person right yeah you know they've seen like alien blobs of fat they've seen cubes that came in from nowhere and like We've seen it all on this show. I'm not trying to remember the last time somebody was shocked by an alien in this series right. um, where it, when it was modern day. And I, and I don't really know when that was because uh, so many times they're on other planets or they're in the future or they're in the far past. And I, I can't recall like a modern day because, you know, Davies used to do that all the time. It was right. like modern day England. Here's all the newscasters talking about this. Uh, fucking uh, potato head aliens. What do they call the uh... friends? Yes, thank you. The Suntar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, you get a lot of those, uh, a lot of those little clips, but we don't get that anymore, for better or worse. So I don't know. I think the power of three. Um, yeah, the the Rory Amy episode the where the black cubes appear is the last one where we really get kind of whole world freaking out except like 10 minutes into the episode the whole world is like using them as paperweights yeah. and <laughs> like 
they they adapt pretty quickly. <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite episodes of that not very good season. Uh, that was that half especially. I, I I remember rather liking that one a lot. Um, but yeah, okay, so that's that's the one I can remember. Yeah. That. Well, and I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. It might be almost um, a comment on how uh, uh, just about people in general, because I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think uh, early on with Donna, wasn't there a thing where she didn't remember any of it just because she, you know, wasn't paying attention. She was more interested in what was going on in her own life or something like that. She just, oh, yeah, no, I think I remember seeing something about that on the news or, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So maybe a comment a little bit, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. This season, they've just totally abandoned that, that, uh, cliche a little bit. I appreciate it. I actually, I didn't notice that, but I I like it a lot now that you've pointed it out because I hate recurring cheap. I hate cheap drama. Mm -hmm. And after eight seasons still being freaked out by that would be cheap as hell. Hey, can, can I can I just point out just to return to something else? That mummy was fucking awesome. Yes, I want to talk about that. Awesome. I'm sorry. Sorry, can Harper, talk about it. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. Yeah, we kind of already talked about what, what we thought of the uh, the flat Flatlanders, but um, yeah, what did you guys think about uh, uh what, what was it? The four. Uh, yeah, the foretold. What did you guys think of that creature? Loved it. Loved it, man. I am I am all about like mummy type monsters because it's like a mixture of like Dracula and like zombie Frankenstein monster kind of things uh, mixed in with like this <laughs> bandaged up in Egyptian mythology and uh, and culture. And it's it's awesome. It's like it appeals to like every single thing I like. <laughs> so um, and, you know, this did, this is like a mummy thing without Brendan Fraser. So uh, it made it way better and it was on like an agatha christie style train and it was uh you know and it tied into uh, uh, the end of season five where they talked about uh going to see an egyptian goddess on the orient express in space it was so awesome i love that yeah it was a ridiculously kind of fun concept um and i think the time timer aspect of it uh both just that idea and also you know visually that uh, that made the episode really intense. Like we, we've kind of mentioned that it felt like the stakes were really high in that episode in particular um, because those char- we felt like we knew those characters a little bit. But it was also because all of a sudden we get put on the spot where this character has 66 seconds to live and we know there's pretty much nothing that can stop that, at least at first. So it's all about trying to solve this mystery in this extremely short amount of time and, and with very little information, which is just really fun and, and kind of intense, I thought. It added it added tension where it might not have been any otherwise because that countdown clock is impending, mm-hmm. which is a little different from uh, monsters chasing you with no countdown clock. Well, and the the layers within that episode made it more effective too. Like if it was just a mummy that they had to figure out, that would have been one thing. But the whole they've all been put there by somebody to work together to figure this out, and this person has done it before, and they're basically part of some kind of science experiment where you begin to realize that the experiment isn't necessarily even to figure out the mummy. The experiment is to watch people react to the mummy and try to beat it. Um, That was the part of the episode that for me just like blew it away as one of the best this season. Yeah. I thought that basically everything they did with, with the Orient, with the mummy on the Orient Express worked really well. I mean, the, the countdown clock, as you guys pointed out, uh, the doctor's, kind of the doctor 
his rambling monologue to try and figure out what to say to defeat it uh, as it approached wouldn't have worked at all without the timer. Um, and just, uh, the, the visual design just, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, everything worked pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was super fun. Um, and I mean, to, to your point, Hannah, about, um, just kind of the whole, the scientist, the experiment idea, what do you guys think about Gus as, as kind of a, the overall, almost kind of the villain of the episode? Do we think he's going to return or is he going to see, does that idea play a bigger role or what do you guys think? I hope so, yeah. uh, only because it's kind of an interesting, you know, this friendly assistance robot that's really awful and evil. And, uh, you know, I, I like, I'm a Terminator fan. I like murderous AIs. Um, so, yeah, I'd be very interested to see him return. And I kind of hope that there's ties into, you know, the overarching villain of the season. But it could also be a thing that we return to for next year. Yeah, I mean, between between Gus and in this episode, the well, or in uh, Flatliners, the Boneless, I think that they really did want to set up not so much, um, I would be shocked if either of them returned this season, but kind of new monsters, because I think the show does get a lot of, catch a lot of flack for kind of returning to the same two or three monsters every season, and with the the weeping angels kind of out of commission after angels take Manhattan, uh, I think that they they wanted both to be things that could return. Yeah, and I think Gus in particular could be very cool just because it's not just like a legion of uh, creature dangerous creatures. You know, uh, it could he's almost a, could be a nemesis for the Doctor in a lot of ways. You know, it kind of puts puts that uh, intelligence and and curiousness to a total opposite extreme opposite end of the doctor to kind of put people's in lives lives in danger just to see what happens. Uh, and that could be, you know, that's something that they could play with in a lot of different ways. So that could be really interesting. I hope. Well, yeah. And, and I think the, the difference between like Gus and something more nebulous, which is weird because we physically see her as Missy. Uh, like we don't know anything about Missy. We don't even know what her purpose is, but with mm-hmm. Gus, we know it's bad. And he's been uh, apparently hounding the doctor for a, a number of centuries, really based on the episode. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, he, there's pre existing history and that's exciting. And uh, you, you know, good villains are hard to come by as you know, some of these Marvel movies have learned. So <laughs> I would love to see, uh, see more Gus, uh, Steve quotation marks. See, yeah, I and you know I had, I had to do some research because I wrote an article um, over the weekend about you know who Missy could be if it's anybody that we've already seen in Doctor Who, and Gus reminded me a lot of this character called the Ronnie. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, yeah. Who was a Time Lord from the early series? Who basically her thing was carrying out immoral scientific experiments. That was her whole gist, and she got bland, uh, banned from Gallifrey for carrying out those experiments, and her whereabouts are unknown. And so I was thinking about Gus, actually, when I was reading about her. I was like, that's kind of a similar MO that they seem to have. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, I did, actually, I was going to bring up uh, your article about Missy, because I, th- I thought that was really interesting. That there, there are a lot of different theories, and they're all very different yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah they're really different and they they take totally different approaches to kind of who the character actually is so i mean what do what do you guys think is 
what's your your prime your uh, prime target at this point? Who do you think is uh, Missy going to turn out to be? Brand new. I don't think it's going to be anything. I mean, I feel like any old reveal is going to be anticlimactic at this point, unless it's the master, uh, which is um, I, I I think unlikely. Um, but who knows? It really will come out of out of thin air, regardless, because we've gotten so little of this character and so little of this arc uh, to define what it is. I mean, there's going to be two episodes that clear this whole thing up, and I hope I hope it doesn't suck. Uh, but I, I I get a little nervous when there's so little breathing space to uh, uh, sort of wrap up everything that's at issue. Yeah, I mean, the more I've thought about it, I mean, I, I ranked the most likely thing as something brand new, and then the next is probably the master. But in terms of what I would like and what also maybe fits, I still think it could be some version of the Doctor self. I don't know if that means like the Velliard or if that means you know, some offshoot of his personality, some weird thing that happened in the regeneration. But the reason I think that could be is simply because all of the things Missy has said have pointed to something really familiar. Like she, when he got it, when he regenerated and was Scottish, she said, I think I'll keep the accent. Like what, what the hell is that supposed to mean? (laughs) You know? And when she's saw Clara, she said, my Clara. I mean, she has this level of familiarity. That's really strange. I'd be shocked if, she wasn't, I don't know. She almost has to be something familiar at this point because otherwise she's not gonna, I mean, they're, they're really Thanosing her. Like, (laughs) I'm going to start using Thanosing for whenever a, a long running series introduces a villain by having them pop up every so often and say something vaguely ominous and then leave, (laughs) which is the least threatening thing you can possibly do. Like it's, it's, it's the least effective possible way to build a villain. And yet, it's so easy and it's so uh, simple and uh, that I'd be shocked if we didn't see it happen more often. And it already happens pretty regularly. Um, But I'd be, I don't know if she, if she isn't something uh, familiar, if she isn't master or uh, the dream Lord or something like that, I don't even know if people are going to give a shit at this point. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I, I, I would love for it to be the Dream Lord, but God, I, I feel like that's going, even for the new series, that feels obscure, you know? How do you fill that in unless you, you, you find a new way to define it and we have to connect the dots that that's mm-hmm. the Dream Lord, you know? Um, I just, I don't know if, they, if, they'll, if they'll put that much exposition in. But then again, this is Doctor Who. They're the kings of exposition. I think it's going to be something about this regeneration being different than the other regenerations because of that cycle of regenerations they gave him or the reset or yeah. whatever you want to call that. It's going to have spun off something in the form of Missy is my theory. And I have no idea what they'll call that. Um, but I, she's got to be closely related to him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I don't know exactly what, but I, I definitely think she's going to be some kind of offshoot to the doctor. I mean, she's definitely got a doctor like appearance and, and, uh, and the settings, the weird settings that we've kind of seen her in are very kind of TARDIS like we've seen, um, and yeah, just the, the kind of things she's talked about. Um, but you know, the one thing I'll say is I got, I got a less, I've gotten less interested with Missy as the season went on. It was, that was one of the most, uh, one of the parts I liked the most about the, the, uh, 
first episode of the season because um, I didn't think that episode was very strong in general, but the ending I thought was so mysterious that it kind of drew me in a little bit, but I've gotten less and less to a point where I really care that much about it. So, you know, that's kind of the downside of, of uh, Thanosing it, <laughs> but um, you know, on the, on the bright side of things, it's been way less intrusive than, uh, than I think a lot of the season arcs have been. Um, it doesn't feel like it's forced its way into changing the actual stories. It's just like, okay, you know, um, in Flatliners, you know, if you could leave like a page open, we're just going to throw this in real quick at the end of the episode. Like, you know, it didn't really affect the episode, which makes it, you know, maybe less consequential too. But at the same time, at least it leaves the episodes alone to some degree. Hey, hey Flatliners is a Kevin Bacon movie, by I the mean, way. I mean, Flatline. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Schumacher, Julia Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Harper, speaking of that point, though, it's hard to measure the impact that that arc has had on the episodes because we don't know what the arc is. I was thinking about that, too, and I was like, they're really not giving us anything. It's kind of annoying. But then I thought about it, and if this is something to do with the doctor himself or some kind of internal conflict, then all of this character development, which has really been the main arc of the season, is about building the doctor and Clara's characters and their relationship maybe that will lend itself towards whatever is coming. That's true. I mean, it might, in hindsight, it might actually make a big difference. I mean, it's very hard to tell at this point. We've, we've gotten a lot less uh, explanation or exposition for the what the finale is going to be like uh, than I think we usually do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one other thing I did want to bring up about both episodes is um, I think they both had some kind of interesting points on the uh, on the feminist side of things, um, which is I know something we, we tend to bring up a lot. But I think these these two actually did have some really interesting points. Um, and I, I think the biggest one is in Mummy and the Orient Express, the whole locked room talking about men uh, scene, I think was really interesting. And uh, I know um, I think, Kyle, you might have mentioned it in your review that you thought that that kind of um, – maybe addressed some of the issues that people have had with, with uh, earlier earlier episodes in the season that, you know, it kind of makes fun of the whole idea, the the Bechdel test almost, you know. I don't, I don't think it makes fun of the idea of the Bechdel test. Not I makes think fun of it, but, uh, you know, it kind of talks about it directly a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it makes fun of the fact that uh, the show's never been able to, to – or makes fun is not a good word. Um, it – uh, sort of examines the yeah. fact that the show has some difficulties on that on that front. Uh, so I mean, when they when these two female characters are sitting in a room and saying, "All we can do is talk about men," uh, <laughs> I mean, why are we doing that? Basically, that's uh, that's sort of uh, an interesting uh, way to tackle it. Uh, sort of tackle the show's sort of ongoing issues with this stuff. Um, and uh, you know, that, having someone who's fresh blood onto the series being able to do that that's that's kind of exciting uh it's you know a new perspective so yeah i i think i think that that was one of the first episodes where we were able to get two female characters talking to one another about something that wasn't related to the doctor necessarily and it was about them and that was that was good mm-hmm. yeah that really might be the first time and i can't remember when yeah well the show's so centered on the doctor um, yeah. you know, and the, uh, the female characters are so defined by the doctor. Um, so that's, it was refreshing to see that. Yeah, that's true. And it's interesting that it happened in, in a companion light episode that really Clara had very little to do other than kind of just have a character moment with this other new character. I mean, 
neither of them had anything else really to do uh, except that. Tells you how good old Matheson is, huh? Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I, you know, I, I think for me, uh, he's this season's Neil Cross, although he's, I think he's better than Cross by a considerable amount. Um, I'm excited to see him come back. I hope he does. People have already been asking him if he'd consider being a showrunner. And he, he said <laughs> wow. no, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other skill set, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I can appreciate why people would want that. But, uh, you know, guys like Davies and Moffat, they were running shows, uh, be, being executive producers of series, long before Doctor Who. That's true. So it's, and this guy's like brand new to, I mean, not brand new to television writing, but he's only written a few episodes of a few series. So, um, yeah. It would be like <laughs> be like hiring the guy as a new hire, and then like now you're the president. I know. <laughs> I mean, It'd be like hiring someone who's never directed anything to direct, say, Star Trek Three. Well done, <laughs> well done. I knew it was coming. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously a little strong to suggest that he should show run the show, but um, you know, I mean, I I think it is. Uh, this really shows how how big of a difference bringing a fresh voice to the show can do. Um, as I, I think it's been relatively um, unanimous that these, at least Mummy and the Orient Express especially, was a, a real fan favorite. I mean, obviously all, all four of us liked it a lot. Um, and to see that coming from a, a writer that's brand new to the show is really exciting to see that we've maybe got kind of a new generation or, or potentially even after Moffat leaves, you know, we've got um, a strong uh, the beginning of a strong set of people that can kind of take over the reins to a degree, which is very cool and exciting to to see that uh, possibility. Hey, uh, Harper, Cal, did you guys think of think Morrison at all during the two D three D stuff of Flatline? By the way, or was that just me and my because I'm reading in the middle of reading stuff? Uh, I, I didn't. But as soon as you said as soon as you said Morrison, I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Like you didn't even have to finish the sentence, and I I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, totally. I, I didn't think of it during the episode either, but that actually does make that would be very interesting. Can you imagine if Morrison came on and wrote an episode of Doctor Who? Well, he has written <laughs> he has written Doctor Who comics before. It's true. Uh, yeah, hey, both he and Alan Moore actually. It'd be about as meta as you can get, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to derail. It was just the first thing that thought came to mind, especially when we talk about things like M theory and you know membrane theory. Mm. Uh, this idea of, of um, everyone's 2D to someone that's 3D, basically, and each right. dimension can like see like our entire lifespan if they're like the dimension above us and the the seven true detective too. So to see like that sort of, not that Dr. Who was even going near that, but I, my brain went there like immediately uh, based on like, wow, I wonder like what the, uh, what the, what, 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 what the story is on the boneless. Now I want to know more and I'm sure we will learn more eventually. Yeah. I definitely appreciated that from just a, a science and science fiction perspective. Cause I, I mean, I've read a lot about that. Um, that whole idea of, you know, that there is potentially a fourth dimension. And just to them, we look, you know, t- the same way we look at 2D, you know, at flat, flat creatures. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Although the episode just boiled it down to kind of uh, like, look, they have one less dimension. So let's talk about perspective and, you know, kind of play with some visual tricks, which that, by the way, was pretty interesting too. the whole, um, you know, they see, see the guy and he's just like standing really still. And then, the, you know, you move the camera and all of a sudden you see he's spread out across multiple planes, you know, just kind of flattened against whatever was there. Uh, that was super cool. And, 
an awesome effect, I thought. We didn't even talk about TARDIS thing, by the way. Oh, the cube? Uh, well, no. Oh, yeah. no. I mean, I meant the Adams Family oh, thing. thing yeah. Oh, thing, <laughs> Amazing. That was pretty good. Amazing. Uh, uh, the first half had a lot of really funny moments. Um, yeah, just the whole, the Doctor being like this uh, uh, hidden voice yelling from Clara's purse was uh, definitely cracking me up um the whole you know what are you a doctor of and he's he's you know yelling out of lies <laughs> that was amazing <laughs> that was fantastic she basically had a bag of holding by the way that, that's like a harry potter thing right where she pulls out like this giant hammer out of her bag awesome. <laughs> yeah no, was, that the first half was fun um really fun and you know i actually thought thought about that too is that both of these episodes had um, I know we've talked about it working to some degree and to lesser degree in some episodes, but that a lot of these have had kind of a halfway point uh, turn in the episode. Uh, Listen is probably the most pronounced one, but it's happened in a lot. Um, and I think these two are the first ones that for me had that kind of halfway turning point that really worked and felt pretty natural. Um, in in Mummy, it was, you know, when they discovered that, you know, they were there for a for a reason and that it wasn't really the Orient Express, you know, all that, that kind of twist. And then in Flatline, it was, you know, kind of when the creatures, when the doctor was really taken out and, and it was just completely gone and the creatures had, you know, become 3D and it was all up to Clara at that point. Um, and for the first time, I felt like that, that drastic kind of turn or shift in tone really worked and felt like it made sense for the story more than some of the other episodes. Yeah. I especially liked in, um, in the most recent one where we've had a series of episodes where there's a, a, a villain that's basically misunderstood or a threat that's not really real. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated that finally it was like, no, these guys just really want to kill us. You know, <laughs> these are bad, bad guys. It was kind of refreshing to go back to something that was truly a uh, kind of an antagonistic force. Yeah. I mean, thinking about this season, um, they've, almost all been like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, even going back to into the Dalek where, you know, the, the Dalek, uh, the Dalek didn't want to kill the humans and uh, time heist where the big villain of the episode or the two big villains were the person who hired them to free the monster that they had accidentally imprisoned. Like this has been a season of misunderstood monsters. Yeah, the only exception maybe being like the robots, like the robots of Sherwood, um, which granted they just have a purpose they're trying to achieve, but like the sheriff or whatever was pretty evil, I guess. And in the first episode, the um, clockwork, the clockwork thing, things, yeah. the robots have generally been not nice <laughs> in all the episodes they've shown up in, although more like humans are just in the way kind of a thing. Yeah, they've both been kind of desperate more than like trying to kill people to kill people. Like Flatline was the first one this season, I think, where it was just a monster that wanted people dead. Yeah, because with the clockwork, it was they were using the pieces yeah. of humans to achieve a greater goal. So, Well, and even with the boneless, it started out as just kind of it seemed like anyways, that it was just an experiment on their part. Like they were just, they wanted to see what it was like to be in the third dimension. And then it obviously, you know, at first, you know, maybe not sure whether they mean to be killing these people or not, but then obviously by the end, they're just like a straight invasion force, you know? Yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, I, I think there was one other interesting point I wanted to kind of bring up about flatline um, at the very end of the episode. Um, the thing I might've liked the most about flatline was how it gave, 
a lot of agency to Clara and kind of, you know, it, it made her the doctor in a lot of ways. Um, and she came up with an, a, you know, a very clever, very doctor who, um, solution to the problem, you know, having the, the fake door and everything that was, that was really cool. That was a, a great, um, kind of, a clever solution to it. But, um, it bothered me a little bit that after, right after she, you know, has this kind of victory that she brings the doctor back and instantly he, with no, uh, no problem whatsoever, just is able to dispel, the creatures, uh, you know, kind of without, almost without explanation, I thought. Um, it kind of sapped away a lot of the glory for Clara, I think, and it, it bothered me a little bit that it was like, oh, well, she did really good, but it was, um, you know, it was all really just to get me out so I could finish the job or, or take care of it, you know? Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it like that when I watched it. Um, but you're right. I mean, definitely, she was just a stepping stone to get to the doctor who could actually solve the problem, if you look at it that way. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I see that, but I also kind of feel like um, that doesn't take away from 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 what she did or from the episode for me. Because, um, I mean, a big part of the episode was that the Doctor does get trapped in this situation and is essentially defeated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he comes up with that. De- I, th- I think I'm not positive about this because, as you say, as you said, Harper, they really didn't explain it at all. Yeah. But I, I thought that the way the doctor defeated them was remember he made the uh, he made the device that manipulated dimensions but didn't have enough power to affect anything more than uh, the door and with the full TARDIS operational and all that power he was able to fully you know fully affect the creatures but uh, that was that was what I took but yeah I was a little bit like that was a Gandalf moment for me like <laughs> yeah. Basically, he was a sorcerer there. Yeah, did, totally. they, did, did they explain, and I missed this perhaps, or I've just forgotten it. Did they? Was it because of the boneless that the TARDIS was shrinking? Yeah, like what, whatever they were doing to take the dimensions away or something was taking energy from the TARDIS. Okay, got it, got it. I was, I was making sure that there wasn't like something nefarious in the background that was causing this. For, no, it was that. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. I didn't think that was totally clear either, but yeah, I think it was just the idea that the TARDIS is all about dimensions and, you know, all that, that their presence was just affecting it in some way. Uh, so I guess um, we'll kind of uh, get towards wrapping this one up, but Overall, I mean, I think we can all kind of agree that we think Matheson is a great addition to the team, and these were two two of our favorite episodes of the season. I think uh, I think we can all pretty much agree on that. Um, what do you guys think about next week? Uh, this will be the um, the ep- premiere episode by Frank Cottrell Boyce, uh, and it does. I think it looks kind of interesting. But uh, what do you guys think about it? I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm ready to see the the consequences of Clara and Danny and the Doctor interacting together. I think that's the most exciting part of next week for me. The premise, I have no idea, and the writer, I have no idea. But uh, it seems like we're finally going to see some fallout. Hopefully, I understand there's no actual monster next hmm. episode, so uh, that's that that holds some interest to me because you know you get all tired of monsters, especially in two straight monster episodes. Yeah. But um, I, I mean. Frank Boyce, uh, he's a good writer. Uh, I liked Millions. I like 24-hour party people. And uh, I hope this will be more of a repeat of like the Richard Curtis. Uh, a filmmaker comes to write a Doctor Who episode than, uh, you know, something that might flop. But, uh, uh, you know, it, there, there, there's infinite promise. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited. This season has really won a lot of my trust back, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested. And I also kind of feel like um, I'm really appreciating the fact that this season has been really good for bringing new writers. Um, and B- Boyce is another new voice for the show. Mm-hmm. Because I'm looking through, and other than uh, Neil Cross, I think we have to go back to like 2009, 2010 for the last time a new writer wrote for the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is a little mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, R- Richard Curtis is the first one I can think of from like season five, but that was like almost like a gimmick, um, bringing you know the, this famed filmmaker from Love Actually to come write a Doctor Who episode. But um, same yeah. thing with Neil Gaiman too. Yeah, Neil Gaiman was like the other new writer, I guess that uh, that uh, had been pulled in. Like he was actually pulled in back into the David Tennant era, and he just they never used his script until <laughs> like season six, I think, yeah. or maybe it was the very first year of Matt Smith. But regardless, uh, yeah, that it's they they've they've gone, they've had this writers' room mentality for for some time during the Moffat era with like uh, Stephen Thompson, Mark Gatiss, and uh, Chris Chibnall, and these guys that. Uh, they're all pretty tight with. So it's nice to see new blood. Um, new I would ideas. like, yeah. And you know, I'd love to see Neil cross return and I'd love to see a season where he and Jamie Matheson kind of team up. Maybe they can leave Peter Harness out, you know, outside the door. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see some, uh, some fresher faces for sure. Yeah. I'm glad to see some new, new people. And I'm glad that it's, that, uh, these new writers are not just coming on to, you know, I've had this Dalek story in the back of my head for years and now I get my chance to, to do it. You know, I'm glad that they're taking some kind of new approaches and, and um, you know, bringing a, a new tone and a new new creature in these case, two new creatures in these cases um, into the show. Uh, and, and I think next week looks, um, I think, yeah, the absence of a monster is kind of cool. And I think the fact that it's, it looks like it may just be kind of a, a mystery with you know, with an aim to just kind of bring these characters together after what's happened and kind of just let that happen almost, you know, um, kind of naturally is, is really cool. And, and like you said, Hannah, I think the most interesting part or thing I'm looking forward to the most is just seeing Danny getting thrown into this mix and seeing how that kind of boils down. Ha- having seen Clara have a major change um, in the last two episodes. I'd like to point out that uh, the next three episodes will be all directed by ladies Nice. So that's exciting. Shuri Folkson is doing this one. And then, you know, Rachel Talale, first American director. So is this the last regular episode next week? And then it's yeah. the two-part finale? That's it. Wow. The end is near. Indeed. Indeed. So yeah. that that means we got to come up with some new t- podcasting topics, y'all. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, good movies are starting to come out. So I'd also helps. I'd like to point out that the last episode, uh, the finale finale, is the same week as Interstellar. So oh, man. good luck on this one, folks. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Extra long episode coming in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. So um, does anybody else have anything anything to throw in about uh, these two Matheson episodes or, or anything about next week before we close out? Mummies make everything good. That's my theme. Except for the mummy. Except for the mummy. No, the first mummy's awesome. Uh, no, I, I like, oh, dude, shut up, Harper. The first mummy's <laughs> awesome. Are we talking about Brendan Fraser? Yes. Okay. I like Just that movie. Sure we're on the same page. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, once The Rock shows up, you know, in the second one, it's no good. But Yeah, that's, that's when it turns. 
That's an opinion that you have the right to have. <laughs> I will stand by my love of, uh, of Brendan Ema, Fraser. Ematep. No, no, no. Arnold Boslu. So I'm shocked that Brandon Fraser has come up not once, but twice in this Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> it's so hard not to talk about him. Yeah. I mean, it's something we consciously have to avoid most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> good dude. We should talk about him more. We should. That should be what we podcast about when Doctor Who is over. Brendan <laughs> Fraser movies. Just Brendan Fraser, period. All right. Encino Man group viewing coming up soon. <laughs> what do you think for lunch? 24-7. <laughs> I think we've got our, our answer, finally. Our solution to podcasting problems for, for the next couple months. So I guess with that uh, silliness, <laughs> we're going to uh, close this one out. Uh, but we'll be back next week. For more Doctor Who and more uh, Geek Rex fun talk with all your favorite podcasting hosts. So uh, thanks for listening and we'll see everyone next week. Bye.